Welcome into another edition Inside Carolina's On the Beat, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Tommy Ashley, but the men of the hour, as you can see on the screen, Jeremiah Holloway, Adam Smith, and Evan Rogers. I'm going to switch it up, though, Adam, because I got to get Jeremiah at the top so we can see the Congruity ad, our other sponsor there oh. in the top right. Clever TA. So where are you? Are you are you pointing to? My little office Christmas. Tree. Jeremiah, <laughs> Adam, Evan. Folks, we're here. We're going to do the new format again. We did it last week. We thought it was pretty good. Um, but now I've narrowed it down. Last week, I gave these guys the first nine games of the basketball season to try to come up with a quote, a moment, and a story. This time, we're going to do it without any games to talk about because Carolina has been off off all weekend. But interesting press conferences. Jeremiah, I'll come to you first. And you can start anywhere you want here. He had football availability um, with players getting ready for the Duke's Mayo Bowl, had Hubert Davis earlier. Where do you want to go? Give me your favorite quote of the past week and the most relevant quote maybe of the past week. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I guess I'm going to take one from obviously our uh, you know football availability, and I'm actually going to go with one that was in my story. Uh, this is about – I wrote about Cedric Gray and, you know, him not being there for the first time and obviously a long time. Uh, he played every game of his UNC career, and this will be uh, you know, the first time since 20 – well, technically first time since 2019 that he wasn't on the field because he obviously wasn't yet with the team. So I asked Kamen Rucker, what's it been like not having Cedric Gray around because he's obviously been such a, a vocal presence, essentially the uh, voice of the of the UNC defense. So the first thing he said was, I love him, but it's not as loud. <laughs> so, you know, obviously, you know, that, that feeds into the, the vocal element. Then he continued to say, uh, you know, when he's out here, he's very vocal. He's a very emotional leader. He definitely has this way of making his presence known out there at practice. From my perspective, and Adam, I guess, kind of being a vet as well, uh, you know, might agree with this. But I kind of feel like sometimes – like when we talk to these guys and these availabilities, we can kind of tell who the leaders of the team are just based on, you know, sometimes who they bring out there. And then even when they bring them out there, what they say. Uh, and Cedric Gray, and obviously his teammates back up the fact that he is, you know, a leader. But you can kind of tell just like Drake May and I would throw Corey Gaynor in there. were kind of like the voices of that offense and it translated on the field. That's what Cedric Gray was. Uh, for UNC. And so it's going to be interesting. One thing I think is the most interesting, I think there are two things that are very interesting. And obviously, uh, they're going to be relevant to two individual players. Uh, how does Power Eccles do in his first game without Cedric Gray? You know, what does it look like? Obviously, he switched over to that other position uh, that said had. And he said, you know, there's not a ton of technical differences, but how is he going to be kind of being the lead guy? And then also, this is the first time we're going to get some extended run uh, to see what Amari Campbell can do because Amari Campbell is somebody that Cedric Gray really has 
kind of crowned in 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 a way. You know, he said he's basically has said in the past that Amari Campbell has next sort of thing, uh, and that he can kind of carry the torch forward. This is going to be the first time that we really see him playing a full game. Uh, how does he do in a full game? He's definitely made some plays when he's been out there, but how is he going to fare? Uh, you know, being one of the chief guys. And so that's the reason I picked the Cayman Rucker quote, just kind of, uh, you know, what's lost, uh, you know, in the void of not having Cedric Gray any longer, but then also the bigger context of what does that defense look like without him uh, in the middle of that defense. Get in here, Adam. Well, yeah, I just, it's the, the comments from Jeremiah, it just made me think I was, I was thinking this yesterday and the Cayman Rucker quotes a great one about it being quieter. Uh, that's, that's probably very accurate, I'm sure. Uh, but, um, you know, like, I don't know if there's an answer to this. Why would you move Power Eccles? Like, why not just keep him in the same spot that he's played for two years and then move Amari Campbell up to the Cedric Gray, uh, the weak side linebacker? I guess they obviously know better than I do, but I thought that was strange because we – have heard this season that, you know, Cedric really has tried to take Amari Campbell under his wing and sort of, you know, train him at that spot. Um, I know Cedric never comes off the field, but, um, you know, and, and I know when Amari got in some, it was alongside said, yeah. so he would play the Mike linebacker. Um, Cedric obviously better side to side and, and roaming than power is. Power is kind of more of a straight ahead sort of, you know, bulldozer, you know, you know, hits you straight on, but I don't know. I just thought, oh, there, there we go, Carolina 93. Look at that, the chat. George Jenkins has been on fire in the chat, by the way. I see you, George. Uh, Octavius Barnes, Shohei, John Rom. Good yeah. God, man. We, we got a lot to talk about today. He's getting least. in the nog. You know? I know. <laughs> but, send but I it, George. It. Send what you're doing. Whatever you got. We got four people here. There's enough to go around. Go read Jeremiah's story that he that he was uh, very uh, politely pu- pumping there. Like it's it's interesting too, just to to think about the aspect of, of Cedric Gray not being around. But I don't know. I, I was it is I really appreciate Power Eccles telling us the dynamic of that yesterday, and also saying by the way, Michael Short and Caleb Lavalle are like the dudes who are backing them up now at linebacker. So you got Power Eccles and then a bunch of true freshmen, um, which I appreciate Power for. You know, that was cool that he told us that. Um, but I don't know. I just thought that was weird. Why not just keep power where he's a pretty good player and have Amari Campbell sort of roam on the weak side? Anyway, I'll shut up. Evan can go next because I got I got first dibs last week. He can get he can get second in line for a quote of the week or whatever he's got over there. I do think that's a great point, though, Adam, about, you know, it's kind of like I'm driving, right? I'm driving and you're sitting in the passenger seat. And Evan and Jeremiah are in the back. Where the kids should be, yeah, <laughs> where the young, <laughs> where the youngins are, and, and then I leave. Maybe the thought process is rather than let one of the young guys jump up in my seat and drive, they just slide you over because you've been riding in the front seat forever. I don't know. You would think that was a great key, analogy. It was it. The, the key words were <laughs> like uh, the key words that you had that you said there. There was something to watch. Is Maybe they know more than I do. Right. I mean, obviously. We <laughs> shall see. We shall see. Uh, it just sort of it sort of surprised me when I, you know, our ears perk up from time to time, and then I was like, hmm, okay. So power. Not only does Amari Campbell have to learn to play eighty snaps a game or whatever he's going to do, Power Eccles also has to sort of play a new position, sort yeah. of. Um, anyway, I'll shut up. 
to be frank, nothing surprises me. Go ahead, Evan. <laughs> yeah, I kind of uh, went the basketball route. I wasn't there today. I had uh, some finals to get taken care of, but I was going back and, and looking back uh, from the videos today. And I actually copied an idea that I didn't realize Adam had wrote a whole story about until I was reading a little bit before today. Uh, but I like what Hubert talked about with Cormac Ryan and kind of working through the kinks of Cormac and the shooting slump he's in because the numbers kind of speak for themselves and kind of Hubert talking about how there's there's nothing from a structural standpoint that he sees is off and the <laughs> idea that Cormac, you know, isn't it's impossible to be in the gym more than Cormac and just how Hubert always believes that these percentages are going to even out. And I don't know if that's going to be the case for Cormac or not, but I think it's just an interesting talking point during this break that, you know, as Adam mentioned in his article, since uh, Cormac had the the double ankle whammy, I think he's four of 19 from three. You got and, it. And, you know, he've had, he's had this week plus off and to maybe get fully healthy. Maybe there was something with his just base and shooting it differently. I know people talk about how he shoots it quick. Maybe he was shooting it quicker because he felt like he wasn't getting the lift that he normally had. Um, so I think not, necessarily the Kentucky game in itself, but I think this next stretch of maybe four to five games, if you kind of take in its own season, almost in a way, if you look at his percentages over these next four to five games, I think those are going to be pretty telling about what you're probably going to get from Cormac for the remainder of the year. And one thing I think that's been kind of common across everyone who watches them is they're good looks and it looks good when he comes out of his hand, he has a good shot. And I've always been kind of, I don't know, this is a stupid thing I always believe in, but I believe that all shooters always shoot the ball. It looks good. R.J. Davis, it looks good when it comes out of his hand from a forms aspect and just from a, a release point. Uh, in contrast, for example, I'm not trying to pick on one guy, but if you watched Pete Nant shoot the ball last year, it wasn't the greatest form in the world. It, it didn't look good when it came out of his hands. Or even, yeah. even an example on this roster, when Armando shoots the ball in a jump shot form, it doesn't look good or when Harris <laughs> when Harrison shoots the ball it, it looks good from a form from a mechanic standpoint so I think you know Cormac has those things going for him and I think over these next four or five games you're really going to see is this just a slump that he's going to be able to get out of or is this going to be kind of the Cormac Ryan you're going to get for the whole season so you guys have brought up what's going to be our debate later and I'm going to give you a heads up on the debate the title of this is what can Carolina accomplish? So over these next two games or next three games before they go to the new year and Adam, I want your quote, but this is the debate topic. Y'all can be thinking about in the back of your head. Cormac Ryan getting on track, winning the two games, getting back to play in the depth. Those are going to be our three debate topics for the next three games for North Carolina. Um, and I think they're very different. But they all very run the gate, run together as well. So be thinking about that. Adam, a quote. Well, just to piggyback off of Evan, great, great stuff from Evan there, by the way, and Jeremiah, obviously. But when, he, when Evan was saying, I don't know if this this strikes you any sort of way, TA, but when Evan was talking about, you know, a shooter, it just looks good a lot of times coming off his hand. Show my age a little bit here. Chris Mullen. Uh, it's man, I used to think every one of those things was going in when Chris Mullen shot it. I mean, that, you know, <laughs> go back and look from eight to 10 years before you guys were born. But uh, when he was wearing number 17 for the Golden State Warriors, good God Almighty. 
That was my guy in 2K with the old school Warriors Absolutely. team. Absolutely. Yeah. Really? <laughs> oh, I love playing with Chris Mullen. Oh, I, yeah. I remember him at St. John, so I'm going to date myself even further. Go back and watch like the 84. <laughs> there, right? 84. Yeah, yeah he, he actually did. When he was there. But this was when he played in 84, 85, when the Big East was just nasty. Old school Big East basketball. Um, he was one of those guys. Adam, on your quote, um, I heard a few. I heard a few this week uh, listening to the thing. It was funny for me listening to Hubert. How many times did he say rebounding? <laughs> Simple. And he's 100% right. This team's got to rebound. You know what uh, we should have done? Yeah, I was joking to Jeremiah. You know, Roy used to do the thing where he'd take the rims off the backboards. Like, he would get mad that they hadn't defended or rebounded by his estimation. And his team's always led the ACC in rebounding, led the country in rebounding. But, you know, he'd have those moments where he would just – screw the rims off the backboards and they would practice with no rims, you know, kind of like my high school coach. He had this thing that he thought was cool. If you guys want me to rip my high school coach, I will, um, where he would kick us out of practice once a season. He, he very much idolized Bobby Knight. And uh, it got to a point where, you know, some of us on varsity for a couple of years uh, where like you knew it was coming. It was ridiculous. Um, it was so contrived. Anyway, I'd be like, kick me out of practice. You mean we don't have practice today? I'm devastated. That's what everybody like. That's what like the real <laughs> you know badass dudes would be like. Like I'm going home. You know, like the whole thing was it was it was such a charade. The whole thing was the captains were supposed to go find him in his office and ask him if we could come back to practice because we want to practice. Um, <laughs> it sucked, man. But um, times have changed. You know, but this is the '90s. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, Bobby Knight hadn't choked anybody that by that point. But um, anyway, anyway, uh, I, Gene, I mean, he, he threw a lot. I see Gene Triplehorn asking if he threw a chair. This guy, anyway. Um, my quote, uh, guys, I, uh, I'm glad we had the football availability. It was, it, was, it was nice to get over there and talk to the players. I feel like we hadn't talked to them in a long time. But I'm going with one of my favorite quotes on this football team is J.J. Jones. Um, I don't know if, you know, if you're watching, if you're a UNC fan, if you're one of our loyal audience, you probably watch J.J. Jones. He's running those deep posts. Drake's, Drake's hitting him 50 yards down the field. With us dealing with him, he's a fantastic quote. He's, he's insightful. He's smart. He's funny. He's just a good dude to be around. He's always, you know, you can ask him stuff and he won't, like, you know, bite your head off. Um but this was at the end. You guys go watch. Go to over to our YouTube page. Watch the the videos from yesterday that intern Jalen took. And uh, at the end of the JJ Jones uh, interview, he was saying, "I'm gonna read from it." He's like, "He was." I had asked him about um, waiting to get their bowl assignment because it took so long with F FSU getting snubbed. Um, but he was saying, "We're grateful for Duke's Mayo for letting us come to play in Charlotte. We're excited we get to play in the Mayo Bowl." Then someone said, "You know." Well, how about Mac possibly getting, you know, a Mayo bath? What would you be for that? He's like, oh, yeah, I would love to see Coach Coach Brown take a Mayo bath. I hate mayonnaise is what he said. So then he sort of watched it on the video. He sort of has this moment of clarity. I don't know if he was prompted either. He sort of has this moment of clarity like, uh-oh, might not have should have said that. And then he looks straight in the cameras. You know, the cameras are all lined up. And he goes, I'm kidding. I love mayonnaise. I love Duke's mayonnaise. <laughs> and then he flashes this like – you know, winning smile, like almost like, hold it, hold it. We got it. You know, like cut, print. <laughs> there we go. 
Um, but you know, he's like, I hate mayonnaise. Uh oh. I love mayonnaise. I'm kidding. Yeah, like hey, it is funny. it is an acquired taste for sure. Yeah. You know, it seems like quite a few guys we talked to yesterday weren't big mayonnaise fans. I don't believe uh Rucker um was a big mayo fan. Um I love some mayonnaise. I don't know about Dukes. I grew up not liking Dukes, but they pay the bills for this bowl game. So we all like Dukes mayonnaise. I do like Dukes mayonnaise. I hate to be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Would but you I take a bath in it? I don't dislike much. I wouldn't like to take a bath in it, but that was great. That was a great moment from JJ, uh, punctuated by the smile. Like he looked straight in the cameras, um, you know. So uh, it was pretty cool. I thought that was fun. One thing this team does have, and I and I guess probably all all college teams have, is personable dudes that are uh, that could clearly, as the NCAA likes to say, go pro in something else besides mm-hmm. the sport. And uh, I think JJ is one of those guys that's got got the chops to do this I mean, yeah he wants to, he wants to be a, a a person in the media and you could tell that he he definitely has that skill set to where you know great looking dude too doesn't hurt you know to be on camera um so you might see him down the road on acc network or something like that one day it would be interesting to watch all right i'm gonna talk about johnny t-shirt right fast because we're gonna get into we can do moments and stories since we didn't have any real games to talk about. So I'm going to combine moment and stories for you guys for this week. But I'm going to talk about Johnny T-Shirt. Look, I'm on Johnny T-Shirt's website right now. Today they had cold weather gear as their 12 days of Christmas sale. And, boys, it was cold out there today. I am not a cold person. So anything below 50 degrees, I'm bundling up like I'm going to the Arctic. Johnny T-Shirt's got you taken care of with all the cold weather gear. It's always a great time to shop at Johnny T-Shirt. The Christmas sales are wonderful. Hit them up. They they can literally put everything under your tree you need for your Carolina person. But you always get 10% off on Inside Carolina Premium subscribers. So take care of them at Johnny T-Shirt. Go see them on Franklin Street. You're pushing it at December 14th with Christmas 11 days away. I'm not sure about getting things mailed out at this point. But if, if you want to make it, go. Go in person experience johnny t-shirt is definitely worth it national guys will pay the bills will be right back it's on the beat what can carolina accomplish all right jeremiah i'm gonna give you first dibs too just mainly because you're sitting beside me on the screen there <laughs> give me a moment or a story from this past week that um only somebody on the inside carolina north carolina beat could have yeah so we got to talk to connor harrell the other day and after we got done talking to him, you know, sometimes you just like to make conversation with guys. So um, I told him, so obviously Connor Harrell, uh, he's got locks like I do. So I was actually asking him about that because I actually remember uh, me and Andrew Jones. There was one game. It, actually, I think it was the Campbell game. It was like before the warmups and we just noticed his hair like had got like super long. <laughs> like we were like, yo, this dude like and obviously, you know, I had seen him. Uh, in the summer at, you know, one or two things. And then I see him at the Campbell game and obviously the helmet's off and like his locks are just like long. So uh, after he gets done talking, I just go over to him and I'm like, yo, like you, you, you growing them out, man. And sometimes I, I just like to do that just to kind of make conversation with uh, people with, with, with long hair. He was like, yeah, man. So I was like, how long has it been? He's like, yeah, it's probably been like three, four years. And he was like, I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking about cutting them. I'm like, bro, you got to just let him like, let them ride out long as they go. Cause that's kind of, you know, that's kind of what I do. I'm seven years deep into this. So I just, you know, you just kind of let them, you just kind of let them grow out. Um, 
Seven, seven years, seven years deep. Yeah, yeah, That's awesome. Yeah, so it was. Uh, it was my junior year of high school. So it was like twenty, it's like September twenty sixteen. So I just just been growing them out since then. Uh, yeah, Adam, man, we don't so... know anything about it. <laughs> I mean, I'd ha- I'd have like one piece of hair right here that would be like ten feet long. The discipline, is awful. <laughs> the discipline. I was eating tater tots. The discipline is awesome. Yeah, yeah I mean, you just got to because, I mean, like when I was younger, you know, like you kind of had to, you know, keep the low cut type deal. So, like, I got to the point I was old enough and I was like, you know what, like if I take care of them. So, matter of fact, my mom actually uh, when I was I guess it was like not even a year into it because I was like, you know, she was like, hey, like at some point, like you're going to be going to college. Like, I can't keep like twisting your hair or whatever. You got to make a decision. So I just kind of was like, all right, so I'm just let him grow out. But a lot of reason I bring up the, the Connor thing is because um, he's especially relevant now. Like, you know, you're going into this bowl game where you're going to be the starting quarterback. And we asked him stuff about that. Um, obviously, Max Johnson comes in and we would ask him about, hey, you know, is that something that they communicate? And he said, yeah, it is. Um, and, and everything like that. So it's going to be very interesting to see. Um, and we also got to see like, you know, some of his personality after we, you know, kind of got done chatting with him and just kind of, you know, uh, obviously on the podium or like, you know, on camera, he talked about, you know, a lot of his stuff, a lot of his routine, uh, but even off podium, you know, we asked him a little bit about like, I think maybe like his major and just uh, different things like that. He's got, you know, Travis Green on his playlist and all that. Uh, so we got to kind of get some uh, some insight into his uh, his personality a little bit. We got to know Drake obviously the last couple of years, and now we have you know Connor Harrell who you know didn't talk to as much, uh, but got to learn a little bit more about him the other day. That's the cool thing about this is, and I don't do it near as much as you guys do now, but getting to know the guys away from the face that people see on the screen and at the because a lot of times some guys are the exact same when you talk to them in, in whatever, um, you know, in front of everybody versus off to the side or, or or anything like that, other guys open up more. And you usually see the young guys that haven't really been in front of the camera a ton. You can really get more from them. And that's what – and this is – I'm going to you know, be the old guy yelling at clouds. Like during COVID, and Adam, you, you know about this and you guys know about this. Evan, you might not. You probably – you weren't doing this yet. But, <laughs> but during COVID – when you had to interview guys on Zoom, you just can't get the same deal as when you're standing here talking. To, like, this is not the same as if we were sitting around talking. Like, remember when the three of us were sitting on the bench behind the Dean Dome? It's just a different conversation, and that's the same way. So it's cool for you guys to relay stories like that so that our listeners and our watchers can realize, A, they're pretty good athletes, but they're also 99.9% of them are – really great young men yeah. and i think that's important to highlight because i think that's lost especially when you got people banging on people for opting out of bowl games or you know going to st- different schools and all that stuff 99 percent of these kids are all the same they just wear a different color jersey um, yep. whether it's red or dark blue or carolina blue or whatever and uh it's pretty interesting to get to know them anyway off my soapbox evan well also give- on that ta also yeah. on that you know like Think about, I always thought about it our way, but also the other way. What if you were a player, like, that the first time you met the media, Connor Harrell sort of met the media yesterday when we were over there. You know, the first time you're meeting the media is on Zoom, where you're just in, like, some room, and you're looking at some screen, 
You, you know what I mean? Like, I think Cedric Gray, I think possibly the first time we ever talked to him on the UNC beat was over Zoom yeah. uh, when he started start getting in the lineup alongside Jeremiah Gimmel a couple of years ago. Um, you know, and it just I, I just think about that. If, you, if you're the player and you got to sit down and stare into this box, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. opposed to having a conversation like Jeremiah's talking to Connor Harrell about his hair. Like, you know, that's just one of those organic things that it's great. It's obviously great to be there in person for 10,000 reasons. Sure. Yeah. And what you say about the organicness of it. And, uh, you know, it's interesting when they, uh, like when we met the transfers and I'll even go to this, when we met the transfers back in January um, and you walk up to a guy like Elijah Huzzy, I mean, he'd been at East Tennessee state and I can't imagine they have close to the media. Now maybe they do, but, I walked up to him, the first person to talk to him for Carolina, and he's like, this is all new to me. And it's interesting to see how those guys grow through that, um, whether you're an 18-year-old freshman coming in and getting thrown to it, or you're a transfer from a smaller school having to deal with it. Granted, it's different with recruiting and all that, but it's just fascinating to watch that sort of aspect of it and the humanization of them. And George, again, in the chat, and I say this, I mean, I'll commit – uh, a a crime right here saying one of the coolest people I ever talked to back when I covered back in the day was Elton Brandt for Duke. That dude was awesome. And, you know, I said, I'm going to the Duke locker room. And we kind of had them both covered at AC's tournament. And I just sat down and talked to Elton Brandt. Not only was he a beast on the basketball court, he was just a chill dude. And he knew I worked for inside Carolina. He didn't care. We just sat there and talked. And so that's, that's the interesting aspect of it from it. Anyway, old man yelling at clouds. They're all just young people. Evan, you're up story quote. No, you've already done quote story anecdote moment. However you want to do it. Yeah. This one, this one's also from football. Uh, one of the cool things that we had in the availability for that one is it was in the the practice facility. Sometimes we have them in the Keenan football center, which is attached to Keenan stadium. Obviously it's kind of like the lobby area at the bottom, but on this one, we were actually kind of in the back corner of uh, the Keenan football center. And you can kind of look around, obviously practice is over by this point, by the time we're starting to talk to some guys, but there are plenty of guys that kind of stick around after practice and do extra this or that, and just reps or anything. Um, and I think one of the cool things was off to the side, uh, came on Rucker was working with J Ron Harvey for probably 45 minutes. I mean, came on was the last guy we spoke to after power JJ and Connor. And that whole time came on was working with J Ron Harvey outside on kind of like the graphs field they have next to, um, the indoor facility and, and J Ron is a freshman. Jack like uh, came on same position, or at least I guess came on play Jack last year. Um, or no, he played it this year. Sorry. Yep. Um, and as Adam might know, uh, Jay Ron's a Mebane, North Carolina native, so I'm sure he is a uh, near near and dear in that respect. But um, Jay Ron is a freak. He's a, he's I mean, a huge kid. I mean, for a true freshman, you look at him. He's massive. I remember uh, someone t- asked uh, came on right when we got him like. You know, who, who, who are you working with? Is he up next? And it was kind of cool to hear Camon say, like, we'll see. He's got a lot of work to do. I think that was right. a cool answer. Like, sometimes you'll get guys who kind of just gloss over it and be like, yeah, he's going to be great. But I think the fact that, you know, Camon, who can kind of 
you can kind of tell is like a mentor to him is is pretty upfront and, and candid about his opinions of where he is. I think is good for a player like that. And what was really cool was so we talked to Kamon, and Kamon's the last guy we're done we're talking to, and, and we're walking out of the Keenum Football Center, and and Kamon's actually kind of walking out behind us. Uh, he's gonna get he's got he got drove home by the uh, Jeremy Sharp the SID in, in the golf cart. Um, mm-hmm. And as we're leaving, Kamon's giving kind of his parting words, advice to Jaybron. <laughs> and as we're leaving, and this is probably one fifteen, one twenty. I mean, almost an hour and a half after practice is right. over, and and Jaybron is still out there just doing individual drills. And he's by this point in time, he's the last guy. I mean, there's no one else out there. There hasn't been someone there for probably half an hour. So that was really cool to look at and kind of see a kid that young, who's highly rated. I mean, he came in as a, a very very high four star. And, you know, sometimes that's not always the case with some of those highly recruited guys that come into a place like UNC where maybe they are a little bit bigger of a fish when they get in as a freshman. Um, so I thought that was a really cool moment to kind of see him out there. And I mean, you know, guys talk about staying late, and getting up early, but it was really cool to kind of actually see that materialize in person. I remember one day we walked out there, I guess it was in preseason. It was all of us out there and we walked. And practice was over. They had the availability. They let us in. And it was, what was it, 120 on the turf? I mean, it was just brutal out there that day. And there were a bunch of them, a bunch of the guys out there running what I call suicides, whatever they call them, 33s, 22s, whatever they call And I was like, yeah. But you can see the ones that are going to be good doing that versus the ones that head back to the locker room or whatever. It's and what you name, Freddie Kitchens was letting them have it, Tommy. One of those days, <laughs> yeah. of those days they let us mm-hmm. – people that don't know, we sort of have to wait outside almost every time. Like, practice isn't open. And, you know, the gate the gate rolls, and it's like, oh, you know, like we're going to see the wizard uh, on the Wizard of Oz, you know. <laughs> so like, true. one of those days they let us in, you know, we're walking. And I'm like, oh, my God, Freddie Kitchens is letting them – you know, and t- think about how good the tight end room is. You know, Freddie Kitchens, you know, he said at some point – as we were walking past, I was like, God, I got to try to remember all this, you know. Um, you're like, yeah, it's hot. We're all hot. You know, like. <laughs> no. It's just, hey, you get what you allow. That's my favorite quote. And Freddie don't allow any junk. And his room played that way. It, you know, it's relevant. All right, where are we going? Is it debate time, guys? I tried to, to pull any, to pull some. i do my anecdote, Tommy. Oh, have you not gone? I mean, I you're not, well, always. I've been running my mouth, so I've probably taken up too much time <laughs> if you want me to be quiet. Give me a great story. No, look, somebody hit me up, and I did see it on the message boards later. It said Adam Smith's always got stories. There's nothing better for, for me to hear guys that have done this for a long time covering covering stuff, telling stories that most everybody won't notice or hear about unless you hear it from the person telling it. And Adam, you're up. Okay, so you want what you're saying is you want I want your story. You want the 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 two Chris Paul punches to the groin that I saw in person before he <laughs> hit Julius Hodge. So, who did he punch before that? Oh, dude, we I, let's do a whole show seriously oh. because I there is no more polarizing. I think I well, there might be no more polarizing guy I've ever covered than Chris Paul because Grayson Allen, he, huh? Grayson Allen? Yeah, I don't know if I'd say he's polarizing. Grayson Allen's of the same category because if you actually talk to Grayson Allen, he is, like, quiet and nice, yeah. but he's obviously a psycho, you know? Yeah. 
Um, he, if you just talk to him away from the basketball court, he's a he's a cool dude. I mean, he's oh, an interesting fella. He's just I, nuts. I covered the game in Greensboro when he tripped the Elon kid, Stephen Santa Anna, <laughs> and like it was it was one of the most surreal nights I've ever been. Being in that locker room, he was he was. I mean, he was having a meltdown. He was crying uncontrollably. Um, I mean, he was crying uncontrollably. He could not stop crying. Yeah, it was, was bizarre. And Matt Jones of Duke looked at me. They were about to go on a holiday break. It was like a couple of days before Christmas they played this game at the Greensboro Coliseum. And Matt Jones looked at me. He's like, yeah, kind of time for a break. <laughs> I'm going to start dying. But uh, the Chris Paul stuff, we'll have to get to another night because I did see – this was when I was a young buck. Uh, I did cover a New Mexico Wake Forest game in Winston-Salem. And he did the same thing that he eventually did to Julius Hodge a couple months later. This was an early season game. Richie McKay, who's the coach at Liberty now, was the New Mexico coach. Freaking Danny Granger was playing at New Mexico. It's a good New Mexico team. It's a good Wake Forest team. And I saw they're doing a little underneath, out of bounds. And this is when we used to sit close. Underneath, out of bounds. Little, you know, two guys on the box, two guys on the elbow, standard little thing. And I saw Chris Paul just rear back and punch New Mexico point guard. I believe his name was Dion or Dayon Merritt. You can look it up right in the family jewels. And this dude for New Mexico went nuts, which I don't blame him. He tried to kill Chris Paul. Uh, and he got, I believe he got tossed. He at least got a technical. He may have gotten ejected. And then Chris was doing one of these, like, what, what, what? what? So anyway, I'm like, who knows how, 25? You know, I'm young. I covered this whole game. Uh, you know, I asked Chris Paul about it, but he acted like he didn't know what happened. I asked Chris Paul, like, why did you hit the guy in the balls? Um, so <laughs> I like, go back to the newspaper office. I'm working in newspapers then. And uh, I told everyone was older than me. I told them what happened. And, like, several of them didn't believe me. Like some of the reporters, like one guy was just like the mayor of Winston-Salem. He would never do that. And I'm like, dude, Chris Paul is dirty, man. And he doesn't have to be because he's like a freaking great player. I mean, um, anyway, I could, I See, could, that's what entire, I'm talking about. I could do an entire Chris Paul episode because also, <laughs> you know, I was there the day they like what retired his Jersey. And he was like, you know what? My cell phone, it starts with 336 prefix and it always will because I'm 336. And I was like, God dang, Chris, you know, that'll write, I can write that. that that's, yep. that'll do, you know, thanks for laying that out there. But I'll shut up. Um, uh, do, let me ask you a question. Do you think he's good enough to walk on at Carolina? Chris Paul. <laughs> <laughs> said, don't he know, has never let go of that, has he? Go, uh, go watch, go, go do your Chris Paul recruiting research. And understand who asked him that. to do that. The, it's interesting that Evan picked the the uh, the moment with Cayman Rucker and J. Bron Harvey because I had sort of the basically the same thing. But you know, there was a moment as we were talking to some of the guys earlier because Cayman did work with J. Bron for a long time. Where and JJ Jones pointed this out. He actually said this as we were talking to him. He pointed out out there on the field after they had broken up practice was the new state of Carolina football was what it occurred to me. You had Willie Lampkin, the new center, snapping to Connor Harrell, the new quarterback, and they were working with Deems May, who's now the first string tight end. So, like, it was a hell of a visual. 
you know, we're kind of doing some interviews over there in the corner. You look out there on the field, and there you've got Lampkin, who has played guard this whole season, Connor, who has been behind Drake May for two years, and Deems May, who's been fourth on the depth chart. So um, that was that would be my sort of the same nugget type of thing you only see if you're there in person. Uh, and it's sort of if you if you step back and think about it, it wasn't Corey Gaynor snapping to Drake May working with Bryson Nesbitt and John Copenhaver. Um, some different dudes, some different sized dudes, um, and sort of where we are right now in December of 2023. It is, uh, like you said, a new era of Carolina football. It's portal era, and it's it's opt out era. It, it's you know all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, it's going to be interesting to see when Carolina gets on that field against West Virginia. You know, Carolina always seems to get those teams in the bowl games that have a point to prove. You know, they they got South Carolina a couple years ago that South Carolina was – they didn't have anybody to play quarterback, but they were itching to beat Carolina's rear end. Now you got West Virginia, who's overachieved this year, who I don't know if people remember the 2008 bowl game, but those people travel. There were more students for West Virginia at that bowl game in 2008 than there were Carolina students there. And how many times they play country roads? Oh, it was like – I actually, <laughs> you know, I knew the words by the end of that one. Even after a ton of, you know, big – nothing. I can't talk about that. Refreshments. Yes. It was a lot of refreshments in club level that day. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be ready to play. And to the point – and we sort of talked about this off the air, so let's make this one of our debate topics here. And, and Jeremiah, I want to get you in because we were talking about it before Adam joined us. Connor Harrell, QB1. He's waited his turn. He's getting this opportunity. He said that he wants to give the opportunity to show what he's got, you know, for everybody outside of Campbell. I mean, let's look. Campbell, love him, but it's not West Virginia, big-time football. But then he's also getting the questions, and rightfully so, about the Max Johnson deal. Where's the mindset? What's the debate here? Is it Connor Harrell? Is this Connor Harrell's job to sort of win for next season? Or is Max Johnson being brought in with the expectation of you've got an SEC, seasoned SEC quarterback, he's going to start? Do you think it's open, Jeremiah? I don't think that it is as open as we may think or as open as – how about this? I don't think that it's – I think for Connor Harrell to get that job, it would take even more – than a really good bowl performance even like this month. The reason I say that is because, I mean, I'm looking, I saw somebody in the uh, in the chat, uh, they said something along the lines of, uh, you know, this is like essentially Connor Harrell's, you know, kind of chance to prove that he's QB1 sort of thing. And Connor, to keep it all in perspective, hasn't had a ton of like, in-game experience to start with obviously had the Campbell game but it's like brief moments like a brief it was like one snap against Pitt when Drake had got out the Campbell game and then I can't really think of any other I mean you know he's and he's obviously been more consistent in practice throughout the year but I think if you're UNC and this is kind of what we were talking about before we got on here you don't just go get four-year SEC quarterbacks to just kind of hang out. Like, you know, there was a reason they went and got uh, Max Johnson. I know know that we were kind of wondering, you know, like could they have waited longer to get maybe a bigger name, things like that. But 
this is a guy that played in the, you know, the, the vaulted SEC West, you know, against a lot of those defenses and a lot of those defensive lines. Um, so he would have played Alabama multiple times. He would have played – he played on LSU and Texas A&M, but he also would have played against both of those teams. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think they brought in Max Johnson necessarily to, you know – now I'm not saying that, you know, they're just going to – hand him the job necessarily maybe they don't do that but i think he has obviously the the upper advantage like you know there's more he's got more in-game experience and you would have to think that the defenses he played in the sec are going to be far superior to you know the defenses that he would potentially see next year maybe not all but probably most um so i think connor harrell uh i don't know that he has a i don't know that it's like a 50 50 right now um, and I'm not at all implying that, you know, Connor Harrell can't play quarterback, but I think they went and got Max Johnson for a reason. Like, I think there's a reason that they put their resources into, you know, the transfer portals to go, um, uh, and essentially recruit, uh, Max Johnson to be, you know, presumably their starter for next year. It's going to be an interesting take. I mean, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, uh, Adam, yeah, get in. I mean, what do you think here? Connor Harrell's got some pressure on him. I, I mean, a lot of North Carolina fans think this bowl game's meaningless. Uh, it's an exhibition. Carolina's going to get trucked, whatever. But for these individual players, uh, specifically Connor Harrell, this game is huge. Yeah, I think it is huge for Connor Harrell. I, I, I respectfully slightly disagree with Jeremiah. I think I just think it's I think it's Max Johnson's job to lose. Um and I think Connor Harrell is going to have to hit a grand slam in the spring and the summer um, to win the job. I could be totally wrong. That's just my personal opinion. Um, you know, 6'6", Max Johnson, and God bless Connor Harrell, that dude is short. I mean, he can run, he can move around, but um, I don't think they're bringing in Max Johnson to sit him on the bench. Now, Connor Harrell could kick his butt in spring practice and in training camp in August and win the job. But I think that's what's going to have to happen. I think he's going to have to – I think he's going to have to really go get it. Now, the the advantage he has is he gets – this is his game. Um, and, you know, what if he goes out there and just – you know, it's magic. I don't know. It might be. Mayo Bowl magic. Put it in the headlines. Um, <laughs> I mean, is it – and then you bring that up. Is it pressure on him or is can he just play free? I, I think it's pressure. I do too. I would hope the kid can play free because let's think of how long he's been wanting this. If you yeah. don't know Connor Harrell's story too, valedictorian in his high school in Alabama, he won a state back-to-back state championships and as a senior had a broken hand. Um, and we were able to – I got him for a, a one-on-one, um, Heels for Life one-on-one after the Campbell game. And it's very interesting comments in there from Connor Harrell. Um, you know, like it, he, he – he made a he, he cut up a glove that he got on a UNC recruiting visit, like a receiver's glove. They give you the swag and everything, you know. He cut it all up and made like his own splint on his dang right hand, so he could play the Alabama State playoffs, the highest classification, with a broken hand. Um, and they went. I, I do believe he was on a very good team, by the way. They were stacked, but but, <laughs> but they, you still had to go out and win at the highest level. Yeah, and he's got the he's got the background with with Tua. I can't say Tua's last name, but Tua and his brother, um, 
you know, it's cool. If, if you can find that Q&A, I might, like I could find the link for you. We put it in the chat. It's, it's some interesting insight. But I do think that, I think this might be, like, if you queue up M&M, this might be his one shot. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just my personal opinion. It's, uh, I like Mayo Magic. <laughs> I can see the headline now. Mayo Evan, Magic. where do you want to take this? You want to get in on that debate, or you want me to give you another debate topic? I'll kind I of think- keep it. I'll keep it short with this one. Uh, I think this is a game that Connor can't win the job. I guess is what I'm going to yeah. say. This isn't a game where I mean, it, even if he has this this magic we're talking about, this is a job that if Connor is going to win this, it's going to have to be what is done in addition to what he does in the bullpen. So I, yeah. I don't think there is a way where you come out of this game and this coaching staff thinks that Connor is going to be the starting quarterback next year, I guess is how I'll keep that. Yeah, just, that. Real, just real quick to go off of that, Sue. I think that this is a game that does a lot more for Connor Harrell personally than it does for Connor Harrell in his positioning to get the starting job, right? You know, because it's, it's a game that it's just weird. It's just a funky game. Like, it just – there's just really no kind of telling what would happen in a game like this. So – he could go out there and obviously play great, but the real competition is going to start obviously in the spring and beyond. You know, I think this would be good for him, his personal confidence to say, okay, this is, I can play at this level. I can do good things as a starting quarterback in college, but it's the real competition to me is going to start spring and beyond. Yeah, I agree. It's one of those things. And I used to tell my, my little league people when we coached them, we're not going to make any all-stars in little league future all-stars, but we can make sure that there won't be any. And I think it's one of those situations in this game for him. I think he can certainly build his resume. I don't think, to y'all's point, he can win the game. He can win the job on the 27th. I think he could probably lose it um, or at least put himself way down the the list of it. And and to y'all's point, Max Johnson coming in from – Texas A&M and LSU, and it's played a ton of football. So it's going to be an interesting thing. That's why I want to see this game. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why North Carolina fans, whether they go or not, should pay attention because, like it or not, come March, June, August, you're all going to be back in, and you're all going to be back in on the bandwagon, and you're going to want to pull for this team. And Connor Harrell and these guys that are going to get a ton of playing time are going to be relevant for the most part. We'll see how the portal shakes out and all that. But anyway, let's talk a little bit of basketball. And before I get to basketball, I won't let people know, if you're listening to the audio version of this, stay with us after this audio, after our show here concludes. We've got Greg Barnes and I did a Next Level podcast with Kentucky beat writer Ben Roberts of the Herald Leader. And I've said Herald Ledger 120 (laughs) times talking to him. But the Herald Leader – he gives an insight to Kentucky that, quite frankly, we don't have. I mean, we can research it and write it and, and go all that, but he has covered that Kentucky beat, and he's covered the Kentucky recruiting beat for a long time. So listen to Greg and I on the audio version of this podcast. It's also on the YouTube version as a standalone next level with Greg Barnes and Ben Roberts. And also Congruity. Congruity is our last sponsor. Going Name the last segment of this, the Congruity segment. They're North Carolina-based HR payroll outsourcing for your small business, your local business. They take care of your people so you can grow your business. Customer service, 
technology, everything you possibly need um, if you're a small to mid-sized business owner. And and the great thing about what they're doing with Inside Carolina is if you don't like what they're, if you can't smell what Congruity's cooking, you don't have to do anything. But you can go to congruityhr.com front slash Tar Heels and get a free assessment, and they can tell you what they can do for your business, and you can like it, leave it, flip it or flop it, but it's free. Go to congruityhr.com front slash Tar Heels. Take care of them. They take care of us, and they're great people, Darren and Matt and all those guys over there really take care of you. All right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What can Carolina accomplish here in the next two ball games, Kentucky, Oklahoma, but also Charleston Southern at the end of the year? I think Charleston Southern is probably a train wreck of a team right now. Probably not as bad as Louisville. Good God. Um, have y'all watched Louisville? I watched Louisville some last night. Don't tell me. ask me why. <laughs> Arkansas State ran them. And Arkansas State's three and seven. The list of non-conference teams that they've lost to the last two years is um, it ain't pretty. And 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 folks enjoy seeing like Louisville stink, but I don't. It's not good. Somebody on the message boards put it up, and I don't keep up with the analytics. But but the ACC is like fifth or sixth in conference ranking. Yeah. If they dump Louisville today, they'd be like third. <laughs> That's crazy, man. I mean, shout out to my guy uh, Brooks Holton, who's at the. Louisville Courier Journal. Uh, so I keep up. I kind of keep up with what's going on with that program, kind of through his coverage, man. And it's like it's unbelievable. The stuff with Karan Davis the other day. Oh, that's like, unbelievable! If you guys uh, saw that, I mean, <laughs> he was like, I didn't. I didn't quit. I'm not like, transferring. Asked he was going to transfer or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. put out a release saying he's going to transfer, but apparently they were doing that to kind of protect him and say that so they could say that he wasn't. It was just. It was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah, I, think, I think the AD today was going around talking to the players, and I think they're thinking of doing something soon. I think that's it is what just an absolute train wreck. I mean, I remember them winning the national championship. What's the name? Broke his leg. His bones hanging out. Everywhere. Yeah, I remember the game he broke his leg. I mean, I saw that bone come out, and I was like, oh, that's not good. And they uh, win the national championship. There were people throwing up. <laughs> that's I, another one of the stories see from being I, on the beach it was it was disgusting i mean that thing shook me to my core and you know how steady strong of a man i am like that was it, it happened right in front. <laughs> and there were people there were the louisville bench got up and just ran mm-hmm. like you know like they like you know you sort of run away from like something bad happening they ran and there were people throwing yeah. it was i have to you say what you want to about rick patino I will give the man credit. He nailed. He kneeled down beside Kevin Ware. They covered his leg up, and he stayed right there. And you know his leg exploded. Yeah, um, I've never seen anything. Like, well, I've seen like car wrecks and things like it, and bad stuff, but never on a basketball court where your bone just comes flying out. And you were right there. Let's see. Beat yeah. stories by Adam Smith. We. I'm gonna edit your book, Adam. <laughs> by the way, the chat has been on fire tonight. Uh, 
David Klein has got the best ears in the world. He is always, he's he rightfully so, always getting on me for my type cloud. <laughs> I don't know if it's an older man type thing. Uh, oh, man, it's just I hate to play favorites. George Jenkins has been amazing tonight. If a tree falls in Mayo, does anybody hear it? <laughs> like, well, what? That's great. That so is great. Don and I always give a chat MVP. Maybe George Jenkins will get the chat MVP. He's done it. He's been in the nog tonight, and he's done a good job. <laughs> and he he did have a question about people being unwelcoming. I have a long list, George, but I will tell you off the top. Um, Buzz Williams uh, sucks. <laughs> he's, Buzz Williams, I mean, he sucks. He is a tremendous jerk. Um, so you should not wish good things on Texas A&M basketball. He's terrible. He's awful. Unless you're Pete Thamel or Pat Forty or uh, Gary Parrish or Seth Davis or some big national uh, bigwig, then he's going to smooch your behind. But uh, if you are covering Buzz Williams, like a ton of friends that covered him when he was at Virginia Tech, Buzz sucks. Uh, <laughs> and he probably he's it's sweaty Buzz too. You're right. <laughs> This is awesome. I, I love the stories. We're gonna have to do a story. We're gonna have to do one of these shows, and we just talk about whatever we want. We, I've been trying to wrap it back to Carolina. I'm um, sorry, and, it's my no, 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 no. It's not. I think I've been trying to wrap it back to Carolina to keep the powers to be happy. But I love talking about everything that is college sports or sports in general. But yeah, bus sucks. That he that'll does, be the man. quote from the show. Uh, he I'll does. Cut, I'll cut that for the CBS video. <laughs> that is awesome. So. Let me ask my three questions, and I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Jeremiah go first. Jeremiah's my guy. Win the two games. Get Cormac Ryan on track. Get back to playing the depth because they've really shortened the bench the last couple of weeks. Three options. What's your number one option for the next two games for Carolina against Kentucky and Oklahoma? What's the most important out of those three, in your opinion? You're saying so. You're saying between winning the next two games, getting Cormac on track, and playing the bench more. Yeah, continue to build depth. Okay. And if you okay. want to throw in something else there that I'm missing, but I think those are three relevant things that okay. are need to be accomplished over the next two weeks. Well, a week, I guess. I I'll follow. Christmas. I'll follow. I'm going to say get Cormac Ryan going. The reason I'm going to say that is because I just – when you look at that UConn game, I believe he was 0 for 6 from 3. Um, but that was a game where R.J. Davis had 20-plus, uh, Harrison Ingram had 20-plus, and Armando actually struggled from the field. So he was kind of battling down low with the bigs that they had. So if Cormac Ryan is spacing the floor in that situation, I'm not saying they win, whatever, but you know, throughout the course of a game, if you have that outside option, uh, that A, keeps the defense honest, so they have to play up on you, uh, that kind of – maybe that helps Armando down low. And also, he's making the shots to get more points. So um, I think if you – I would say getting Cormac Ryan going is the most important thing. I do think it is interesting when you just look at his three-point percentage, and I think we actually touched on it uh, either earlier here or maybe it was I – don't, I don't even remember. Um, but when you look at the three-point percentage he had at Notre Dame, he wasn't Clay Thompson. Like, it wasn't like he was 40% every year. I think his career high was like 41, but it, you know, he came into UNC about 35, 36. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, or it wasn't a Fletcher McGee. Let's use a, a college example. Right. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't necessarily that, but 
you did bring him in to shoot, like you did bring him in to kind of space the floor a little bit. And I think before the injury too, he was able to at least kind of pump fake and drive on occasion. Like, you know, we saw him do that. Even against UConn, we saw him have, he had a couple of really nice, him and Armando had a couple of really nice give and go situations. So I think if he's able to start knocking down the three, that adds another element. And I think everything that Simon brought up obviously is, is, is important. So I'm interested to see where you guys kind of go with it. But I'm going to say Cormac Ryan um, being able – I mean, he's averaging 10 points per game without really making the three. So if he can bring that average up to about 13, 14 just by making some shots, uh, I think that goes a, a long way. And I think that actually uh, raises the ceiling, so to speak, for what the UNC offense can do. Absolutely. For the record, Cormac Ryan shooting 25.5% from three-point range for Carolina this year, 329 Career low in field goal percentage and three-point percentage. Career yep. low so far. So Evan, you're going last, by the way. Adam, you got two more choices. Uh, win oh. two. Win two or play the depth. What's 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 second on the list? Oh, Evan, I'm so sorry. I didn't. <laughs> I thought man. for sure I would be last since I've been running my mouth on stock. Oh, Evan. Oh, well, well, well. <laughs> little sin. You got a little seniority going on here, I guess. We got to build the depth. You know, the depth has got to come in at the end and show that they can perform. You know, Evan whether had two exams today, and he's, whether you're up or down. You know. He's in uh, Christmas break mode now. You know he's going to be going home to mom and daddy's house. He's I'm doing. The, I'm in the childhood bedroom right now. Look at that. <laughs> it's nice. actually my. It's actually my dad's office. Shout out to Fuquay, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah down in Fuquay. Well, yeah, it does look like he has some nice furniture back there. Yeah. Yeah, Evan and I are doing the post game Kentucky show. I mean, everybody's my, got uh, everybody's got my, Christmas parties and all. And, that's uh, great. That's, right. that's my magnet board in the background. I don't know if you guys can see it. I've got like a hundred plus magnets. I collect them. You need to bring it, that closer. Oh, it's another. It's another day. Another day. Adam Cern. Adam, go. Winning I mean, or depth? I'm going to take win the two games. Uh, shout out to Jeremiah for giving me a softball there. I appreciate you jumping on that grenade, Jeremiah. Um, <laughs> yeah, win the games. I mean, like, you know, not only you know, you play to win the game, um, as uh, Herm Edwards said, but I mean, hey, Kentucky and UNC, you know, I have one of my best friends in the world. He probably still does. When we were in high school, he used to pull against Kentucky to lose just because Kentucky and UNC were in that, like, all-time wins race all the time. He just pulled against Kentucky all the time because he wanted UNC to be number one in all-time wins. Um, but, yeah, someone's, several people have said it over here in the chat, and I think they're spot on. Like, you get these two wins, you know, I think I think the non-conference resume is pretty nice. You, in hindsight, you would have loved to get that Villanova game. Um, there it is. Yeah, right. You don't have to word, hear the word quad. Uh, it, hey, we were we were talking about it with Hubert today. What is it? Villanova, Arkansas, Tennessee, FSU, UConn, Kentucky, Oklahoma. That's seven games. It's a hell of a seven game stretch. My God. Um, so if you could come out of that stretch, you know, five and two, I think it's pretty impressive. And you'd have wins over the SEC, the Big Twelve. You know, neutral court wins are are uh, valued. You know, and all this, you know, Ken Palm, the net, everything. Um, you know, I think I, I just think it would be huge. And then you know, then you're getting in the ACC play, which, oh, by the way, they got three straight row games to start the ACC. Mm-hmm. Uh, all due respect to Charleston Southern at Pitt, at Clemson, at NC State. I mean, this is going to be 
from now to like mid to late January, you know, there are going to be a lot of resume opportunities for UNC. Um, not to say that February is not going to be important or March, but uh, yeah, you win the games. And, and hey, the two Blue Bloods, Carolina and Kentucky, the last time they played in Vegas, Kentucky ran them out of the gym. Uh, you know, it was a CBS Sports Classic a couple of years ago, impacted by COVID, when UCLA and Ohio State didn't even show up. UNC and Kentucky showed up. That was it. UNC wore the black jerseys, I'm sure people remember. Um, but, yeah, win the games. Oklahoma's good, too, by the way. I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I personally am super excited to cover UNC, Kentucky, and Atlanta, just like Jeremiah got to do Carolina, UConn, and Madison Square Garden. Just awesome. What a scene. I mean, I think it's going to be – I think Big Blue Nation is going to be out in full force in Atlanta this weekend. Um, so, I, I'm super looking forward to it. But, yeah, win the games. Stockpile the quad one wins because these things I don't think is going to change uh, by the time we get to March. I think a game against Kentucky on a neutral court, a game against Oklahoma on a neutral court, just like a game against Tennessee. I think Tennessee's going to stay up there and UConn's going to stay up there. I think those things aren't aren't going anywhere. Um, so win the games is what I would say. Oklahoma's hey. 15 in the net right now. And yeah, they, the computers love Oklahoma. And, and they play in the Big 12. And if that means anything, that means their net's not going to go down much. No, so not at if, all. If you if you beat Oklahoma, that'll most likely – I would be shocked if that's not a quad one win by yeah. March. No, it's going to be a quad one win, absolutely. The computers love Oklahoma. And interesting, if you're on Ken Palm all the time like I am, interestingly enough, Ken Palm calls that game against Oklahoma semi-home for UNC. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what his criteria is for that. It will be a neutral court win as the NCAA tournament looks at it. But, um, yeah, the computers love Oklahoma. All right, Evan, wrap us up. You get left with build depth because <laughs> Evan I, especially. I think winning the games – I'm not getting in this debate, but I think winning the games is ultimately important. I think Cormac Ryan becoming a player and, and hitting shots and getting back on track for this team um, can make not winning both games irrelevant because they'll win a ton with him down the road. Um, I think they're going to have to have him. But anyway, Evan, you got depth. Why is it important for Carolina to get back to playing this bench over these next two, three games? Yeah, I appreciate you guys leaving me the best one, uh, in my opinion. That was what I thought when I first heard those three. Um, Evan but I, wrote about this, by the way, guys. Uh, like he had a good Hubert I did. about the I did. with Hubert insisting. <laughs> um, but no, I think I think long term the bench is something that is going to have to become a factor. I think if we saw anything from that tournament run in 21, it's pretty hard to win a national championship with five and a half players. And I'm not saying that I think this team is going to win a national championship, but if that's the ultimate goal, they are going to have to fortify a, I think a seven, maybe eight man rotation would be best. Mm -hmm. I think right now they probably have a six. I think you're confident in Seth Trimble. Uh, I think Jalen Withers is a guy that, should be in the rotation. I think it's more of him kind of accepting his new role. I mean, people have to remember he was on a four-win Louisville team last year. So there's probably an adjustment that he's going through right now to what his role is with this team. And I think once he kind of embraces that role as being an athletic kind of guy, a weak side shot blocker, and maybe not necessarily a, a scoring option, I think he can definitely be a factor. And then I think you can find minutes depending on matchup where Jalen Washington can be effective and alleviating some, some time for Armando. But yeah, I think, I think long-term, this is a team that if it wants to achieve its goals that it's set out, it's going to have to 
get back to playing its bench. Um, I don't know if it's something that you're going to find out in these next two games. I know I'm kind of contradicting my argument right now, but I do think it's something you're going to figure out in the next couple weeks because there are going to be games and opportunities where you would expect UNC to have a sizable lead to get those bench guys in. And if you're not seeing them get minutes during those kinds of scenarios, or if you are seeing them get minutes and not perform during those scenarios, that could be a little alarming in terms of what this bench might look like kind of toward the home stretch at the end of the year. But yeah, I'll say long-term, this team is going to need uh, some bench guys. Bench guys play a huge role in March. I'm sure everyone remembers Remy Martin. He was uh, pretty important for Kansas in that game and he came off the bench. So uh, long-term goals, if this team wants to achieve its ultimate goal, they're going to have to probably get a seven or eight man which, rotation, which they don't have right now. Hey, that's why we do it. Three well-reasoned, rational thoughts. I think they're all important. I, I think winning is important. I think Cormac Ryan's got to be good. I think the depth's got to be good. To your point, Evan, about the depth, if they had another guy in 22 in that Final Four, if they had one more big in that 22 um, Final Four, they win the national championship. And, and it's a process – that starts now for this team. You can't shrink the bench to five and a half players. It's going to be interesting to see. I thought Hubert's quotes about you're either going to rebound and play defense or you're not going to play. I virtually said that to when y'all had him today, I guess it was. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got to hold up to that. He mentioned accountability. He's got to mm-hmm. hold them to that. And, yeah. and I don't know how much accountability we've seen over the last couple of years with guys not doing that. And, and a lot of people are talking about Jalen Withers. Jalen Withers has got to get it together. I mean, granted, it's tough to come in and get two or three minutes at a time and, and get in and flow, but you got to come out ready to ball. And for him and Jalen Washington and all those guys, I do think Seth Trimble plays a huge role in the next two games for this team. Kentucky's big. Kentucky's got a new big that's back out there. I don't know how much Baycott will do. It'll be interesting to watch that battle, but I think for Carolina to, to win against Kentucky and Oklahoma – they got to get it from across the board and not just one or two guys. Interesting discussion. Anything left? We'll do one before Christmas, but anything left, guys? Everybody's safe. Everybody's going to Atlanta to cover the game. Evan and I are post-Kentucky here on the YouTube page. Any last thoughts before we get out of here? We're overdue again. Adam, short thought. Give me, give me one penny. Really short. Happy holidays. Jeremiah. Oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess my closing thought, uh, certainly looking forward to being in Atlanta. I'm getting about tired of the RDU, but, uh, you know, it is what it is, man. I think we got a really good one on our hands. I think it's going to be a track meet, high 80s, low 90s probably. Y'all need to take the uh, the Atomobile and drive it. That's a fun drive to Atlanta when it's traffic. Oh, I've done it a million times. It is. Uh, I already used the way to go, Jeremiah, on this one. Trust me. Nah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Atlanta traffic is no joke. Evan, give me one penny before we get out of here. Uh, I'd say up to this point, UNC basketball, in my opinion, is ahead of schedule. And I think by the new year, we'll figure out just how far ahead schedule they are. Nice. Dean's list, Evan. Will we see your got, name got in the, the local? Got the Dean's list. Got the Dean's list. Sixth straight semester. Wow. Good Ooh. God. Good God, man. I hate people like you. (laughs) Where did we find him? (laughs) Really? Does all this and makes Dean's list. Uh, Yeah. That's pretty impressive, young man. Good. All right. Yeah. We are getting out of here. It's been On the Beat, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and Congruity HR. 
Adam, Jeremiah, Evan, always killing it on the beat. Evan and I will be post-Kentucky, I guess, 7.30, 8 o'clock Eastern on Saturday afternoon. Remember, stay here if you're listening on the audio version. Ben Roberts with the Herald Leader talking Kentucky, Carolina basketball along with Greg Barnes. As always, stay to Inside Carolina for all the latest about everything North Carolina. Thanks, guys. Welcome in to another edition of Inside Carolina's Next Level. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Got Greg Barnes with me, as always, on the next level. We've been kind of kind of loose doing these lately. Hadn't gotten much of them done, but we've got a special one today, and I'm going to let Greg take it away and introduce our guest. Well, this is a big game coming up this weekend, Tommy, against Kentucky, North Carolina, of course, and this just uh, hectic, crazy, strong non-conference slate. Uh, of course, Florida State was thrown in there for good measure. Uh, but Ben Roberts of the Lexington Herald-Leader, is joining us today to, to talk a little bit of uh, Kentucky basketball. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, guys. And before we we really get into this matchup, um, one thing that I've, I've found interesting, and I think a lot of people have over the years, is John Calipari uh, when he arrived. Well, when he was at Memphis, but then when he arrived at Kentucky, as well as Mike Shashevsky at Duke, really were kind of the the ringleaders of this one and done era in terms of bringing in as many of the elite young guys as possible and trying to uh, have immediate success before those guys leapt to the NBA. And initially it worked. I mean, if you look at Kentucky, of course, uh, they had, what, let's see, four out of five years they were in the Final Four, won the 2012 National Championship. Duke had a good bit of success. They won the 2015 National Championship with three freshmen in that starting lineup. But then something kind of changed. And if you look back to that game against, uh, I guess we're not supposed to mention it, Tommy, but the Carolina Villanova championship game back in 2016, there's a lot of veterans on the court that day. And ever since, that has been the recipe for national championship teams. I believe there have been four freshmen in the starting lineups of national champions uh, since that Duke victory back in 2015. Uh, so, so Ben, I, I raised that point because we know how good Calipari is at bringing in elite talent. We also know he's kind of uh, flirted a little bit with the transfer portal since this opened up. Is this still an approach that John Calipari is married to? He's got a lot of very talented freshmen this year. Uh, and is, is there any explanation for maybe why that elite success in terms of Final Fours and National Championships hasn't been there for teams like Duke and Kentucky that have relied so much on one and done talent, you know, over the last decade. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot to unbox there and you kind of summarize my season preview story uh, for Kentucky season uh, right there, all in that. And, and um, Cal and I kind of went back and forth at, at media day this year about just why he was going back to this and why he thought this would work given all the statistics and all the trends that, that you just mentioned there. Um, you know, part of it was, it's not that, you know, that first five or six years, it's not that other schools weren't going after one and done's they obviously were, but nobody was quite as all in on it as Cal was, uh, you would see Duke, you would see some other bigger schools go after maybe one or two guys, maybe get one, maybe get two in a class, uh, two was rare. 
Cal would get three or four or five in a class. Um, and, and when you had that much talent, he was able to kind of bring it together. He, he also always had at least a veteran or two that, that knew college basketball that could kind of bring those guys along. Um, so then what you kind of get to that 2015 year, he had his 38 and one team. Duke had the Okafor, Tyus Jones, Justice Winslow, that group. Um, and that's really where Kay kind of came in and started getting more of those guys in one class. And then I think kind of the bottom fell out of it because if you, you know, if, if one team can't get all those players and you kind of have to spread them around, then it's not going to be nearly as successful if you're Cal and you're trying to do that. So he still kind of kept up that to a certain extent, but he wasn't getting, frankly, as good a talent. I mean, he was he needed that kind of top 10 talent, it seemed like, to, to make that approach work. So then he goes to the transfer portal, um, you know, over a two, three year span there, right around the time when the, you know, the immediate transfer and all that happened. You get Oscar Sheboys and Xavier Wheelers and Jacob Toppins, really good players, obviously, especially Oscar National Player of the Year. Um, but it, it and they won a lot of games. I mean, they were a two seed that that year. They they lost to uh, St. Peter's uh, could have been a one seed very easily if uh, if a game there at the end had gone differently. Um, but obviously, the tournament success hasn't been there. And it just seemed off. They didn't seem like John Calipari teams. Uh, so now he found himself with this 23 class in a very advantageous situation where DJ Wagner coached his dad 20 years ago, uh, had been recruiting him since middle school. That was a player he he pretty much knew he could get. Aaron Bradshaw, a, uh, a high school and AU teammate of his, very close, uh, one of the first schools on him. They thought they could get him. Reed Shepard. Uh, both parents were stars at Kentucky, and, and he's an Eastern Kentucky kid. They knew they could get him. And then you add in Justin Edwards, Rob Dillingham, a couple of others. He kind of got back in a situation where, oh, I can get five or six of these one-and-done guys. Um, that's, I think he likes teaching those guys. He likes those guys kind of coming in with a clean slate, not having other college basketball coaches, other college basketball experiences on their resume. And then going from there, and there are there are going to be bumps in the road. They lost to UNC Wilmington a couple weeks ago, uh, four days after blowing Miami out of Rupp Arena. So um, he knew that, but but he's building for March with this team. And I, I think you know, talking to a lot of Kentucky fans, uh, this team is, is even with that UNCW loss has has really um, played over the expectations. And I, a lot of people around here are very very excited about this team. And feel like there were there were a lot of questions. Like I mean, you just mentioned there were a lot of concerns. This isn't going to work. It hasn't worked in years. Why is he doing this? Now that they're seeing it on the court, especially with guys like Trey Mitchell and Antonio Reeves, kind of a couple of veterans there to help them along, people are pretty excited around here and, and really looking forward to this game in particular. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned some of the veteran talent with some of the younger teams. Um, one conversation we've had about Duke being as close as they are is if you go back to that 2015 title team with, yeah, you know, Okafor and Jones and Winslow, well, the heart and soul of that team was Quinn Cook, who was a senior. And uh, you know, there were a number of talented guys that were veterans for Mike Krzyzewski where they had so much success. I mean, the Kyle Singlers and the you know, J.J. Redick, even when he was a, an older guy. Um, and it just seemed like there was this period of time when there was such an effort to get so many young guys – that you didn't have the growth maybe of the younger guys uh, to become veterans, to become older guys. And you had this void 
Uh, and that's kind of a theory I've stuck with. I don't know if it's true, but if you look at you know the 2016 and 17 North Carolina teams, I mean, those were veteran lineups. Now, of course, you can look at last year's team, which was preseason number one, and that was top 25 in terms of D1 experience, and we know how that played out. So uh, there's two sides of the coin, of course. Um, but do you do you think there's the do you think there's the veteran experience um, on this team to be able to play that role and to settle? Because you, you, as you mentioned, you are going to have some up and downs, right, with this much young talent like a Wilmington game. But do you think there's enough veteran talent and leadership to be able to kind of calm the waters as you get into SEC play? I think that's the, the one of the big questions with this team. And I think the addition of Trey Mitchell, which happened very, very late in the offseason and really only happened because of the, the Huggins situation there at West Virginia. Uh, if, if Bob Huggins was still the coach of West Virginia, Trey Mitchell would be there. And Kentucky would be in a lot different situation, I think, especially to start the season because they wouldn't have had, <laughs> they wouldn't have had anybody to play center with Bradshaw and the other seven footers out. Um, Antonio Reeves, uh, fifth year player, very good players are leading scorer right now. Um, great three point shooter, but he's a, I mean he's a quiet guy. He's not he's a guy that if the younger guys go to to ask for advice, he, he's he's certainly a team player. He'll do that, but he's not the kind of guy to go out of his way to. He's not that vocal leader. He, he's not really the the locker room guy he's just more of a more of a quiet kind of laid-back guy so if that's your only senior that could have been an issue but Trey Mitchell came in right away he surveyed the situation he saw there was a void there um and he was more than willing to kind of step up and play that role and he's been kind of the you know people are already joking about the grandpa or the uncle and he's like you know I'm only, I'm only 23 years old I'm not that old I'm not that much older than these guys but uh, he, he does play that role, and, and those guys lean on him both on the court and off the court, even though he's the newest player on this team. I mean, he, he didn't get here until until June, like a couple weeks before their exhibition tournament in, in Canada. So he's had to really learn the situation really fast. John Calipari has taken a liking to him uh, very quickly. Um, so the fact that they have him, and then it also helps when you have DJ Wagner. I mean, he's 18 years old. He's the youngest guy on this team by a about four months, I think, but he is just, and I'm sure part of it is, is his basketball bloodlines, you know, his dad just kind of where he comes from. Um, but he's just so mature and he's already kind of taken over. I mean, Kyle said the other day after the, after the win over Penn that he talks like a senior guys follow him when he's on the court, there's this kind of edge and this will to win that isn't there when he's not on the court. And so I think when you have a freshman like that, you have a, a senior like Trey Mitchell. And then you've got a lot of guys who are, who are, are frankly, just very unselfish. Reed Shepard. I mean, Justin Edwards was talked about as a possible number one NBA draft pick coming in this season. And his natural tendency is to be more of a glue guy. Uh, he's kind of the guy who dives on the floor and is fine getting six points and, and seven rebounds if, if, that's, if that's what the situation calls for. So I think they've got a lot of unselfish guys. It's worked so far. They've got a lot of really talented players. But they got six guys in double figures, eight guys averaging about seven plus points a game. All those guys getting plenty of playing time so far. If they can keep that up, if they can stay healthy. I I, I don't think leadership is going to be a problem. But I think it, it would have been a big one if if Trey wasn't on this team. We're talking with Ben Roberts of the Herald Ledger, Kentucky beat writer. Ben, one question I had, and it's interesting um, since we've all covered the beat to some extent, you guys more than me. But what's that like covering? these teams when there's so many young guys and they're like here today, gone tomorrow type. 
Because one of the fun things for me back when I used to do it all the time is getting to know players, getting to to know what makes them tick, how to get them to open up and all. What's it been like covering a team like Kentucky um, where the guys, you barely get to know them. You talk to them for three months, and, and then they're gone, three to five months, and then they're gone. From that that sort of beat writer, uh, adult interviewing, doing your job aspect of it, what's it been like for you? Well, I, adult's a key word there because you, <laughs> you, get, you really get the difference. You know, the last couple of years – um, they bring out three guys after every game. And a lot of times it would be Oscar Sheboy, Jacob Toppin, Xavier Wheeler. You're talking guys in their early 20s, getting closer to their mid-20s, guys who've been around for several years, uh, both knew the drill from a media standpoint, but also had a lot more to say, a lot more insight, had seen a lot more, and were adults. And it, it was kind of a, a little bit of a shock when you go to media day this year and pretty much everybody on the team's 18, 19 years old uh, and, and then you got Trey Mitchell over here, who's, who's kind of talking like the, the guys, the, the past couple years. So he's kind of been the go-to quote for everybody, but yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult in one sense because you do have to ask more. You need to ask differently to get more stuff out of them, but it's also kind of refreshing because they don't, they're kind of coming in wide eyed. They don't have, um, any preconceived notions about how any of this works. And they've all been interviewed, you know, five-star recruits. They've all been interviewed uh, throughout the recruiting process. But this is all different and it's all new. And especially when they're winning and, and playing well, um, they're excited to talk. And I, I think I think um, a lot of media members around here, me included probably, were a little uh, hesitant coming into the season because you knew you could go to just about anybody on the team the last couple of years and get a great quote, get great insight depending on what was going on. And uh, you kind of wondered going into this one, if that would be this, if that would be the same case, but, but um, it's actually been gone, gone pretty well so far this season. And I actually, I covered uh, recruiting primarily for about 10 years uh, before I jumped on the beat two or three years ago. Um, So I, I was one of the few who actually did get to know these guys going back to when they were about 15 years old. Cause you know, the Kentucky would usually recruit the guys who were, who were ranked as sophomores. Um, and then, so I, I kind of already knew them once they got to campus. But yeah, for for a lot of folks around here, you, I mean, you're right. You you meet them for the first time in October, and then they're they're gone five months later, and you, and you never talk to them again. Well, I think it's important to highlight that fact right there, Ben, that you said because with so many young guys uh, going pro early or, or now with the portal transferring, yeah. the fact that you have that recruiting background and you have some of those ties, especially with this group, uh, that pays dividends. You know, Cheryl McMillan does recruiting for, for IC, does a fantastic job. But he's been, a, he's been a resource for when guys are actually on the team for a long time just because of that knowledge base. Uh, but, Tommy, you mentioned the, covering the, the young guys and how challenging that is. One of the uh, interesting stories that, that I have throughout my career was uh, the first year John Calipari was at Kentucky, Carolina played at Rupp Arena. And that was a year that it was DeMarcus Cousins and Eric Bledsoe and John Wall, of course, who were all freshmen. Um, and the game was a little bit sloppy the first couple of minutes. And then John Wall, I don't know if he got a rebound or a steal, but went coast to coast for a slam. And that's probably the loudest I've ever heard a building in my life because I kind of uh, announced the John Calipari era. But after that game, um, you know, everybody wants to talk to the young guys, of course, and even Carolina uh, 
beat writers wanted to be able to talk to John Wall with his ties to the triangle. And they bring out DeMarcus and they bring out John Wall. And it is like a feeding frenzy. It's like the Super Bowl with these young guys. And then talking with some of the Kentucky people later in the year, they're like, there's so many people who come to these games to cover these guys. You really don't have that ability to ask them the basic questions of, hey, what's working for you early in the year? to how, how much have you grown throughout the course of the year because it's such big fanfare about the NBA that they're here for just a brief amount of time and then they're gone. Um, and for me, that really kind of said, wow, this is what the one-and-done era is going to be like. And it wasn't like that for the duration, of course. But those that was my first taste of it. And that, um, that that's a good question there, Tommy, because that, that really took me back to those that day at, at Rupp Arena back, gosh, 13 years ago, I guess. Oof. John Wall, a North Carolina product. Let me ask you about uh, being a, about another guy that was on North Carolina's radar for a long time, and everybody watching this knows who I'm going to talk about is Rob Dillingham. Sort of, sort of talk about him at Kentucky. Um, it's been an interesting journey to get there. Quite frankly, never thought he'd play college basketball, but here he is at Kentucky. Here he is facing North Carolina on Saturday. Yeah, it, it has been a journey. And, you know, obviously I left North Carolina to go to Donda, Kanye's uh, deal out there in, uh, in California, and then went to overtime elite. And there were always the rumors when he was down at overtime. I always never – he's going to go to the G League from here. He's just going to stay at overtime for another year um, and, and never come to Kentucky. And obviously he, he, he showed up and he's here and, and he's, uh, for the most part, thriving. And, you know, it, it's – there's a lot of really intriguing – individuals on this Kentucky basketball team and he might be the most interesting he's certainly near the top of the list uh and and I, I know you guys probably know his game and and how he was perceived in high school he was so if you didn't care about the final score which as a media member I did not uh he was so entertaining to watch because he could get on a heater in a hurry he could miss 10 shots in a row in a hurry and he would just keep shooting the ball uh but the way he got separation is you know, as shifty and crafty as he was with the basketball, you know, if he was playing at one of these Nike events, you just, you felt like you couldn't go to another court because you wanted to see him. And John Calipari uh, doesn't necessarily like that style of basketball. He likes, he likes the team game and not that Rob wasn't a team player then, but he likes everything to flow. Um, he, he doesn't like selfish shots. He doesn't like forced shots. And people were wondering what's going to happen when Rob Dillingham meets John Calipari. And, you know, he really struggled in that international tournament in Canada. I mean, really, really struggled to the point where some fans around here thought he wasn't going to do much at all this season. Uh, he goes in the weight room, puts on quite a bit of weight from July to September, October, uh, comes out and scores about 40 in the blue-white game. Just, just does what we've seen Rob Dillingham do on the recruiting trail at times. And then since then, um, and there have been a couple hiccups, but but since then he has really settled down, played within himself. And when he plays within himself and plays within the natural flow of the game, he is, I mean, he's a wizard with the basketball. He, he is just so good at creating space. He's so good at finding open teammates. Cal will tell you that he's still one, two times a game, sometimes more. Uh, the UNC Wilmington game, it was more. Uh, tries to make the uh, the hardest possible play that there is on the court. He kind of came up with a phrase in the preseason of stop messing with the ball. He would tell her he would stop practice, 
pull him out of a, a game or an exhibition or whatever. Stop messing with the ball, Rob. Just you're good enough. You're better than everybody else out there. Just do play within the flow of the game. And when he's done that, he's been unbelievable. And you, you've seen him go from basically not really projected as an NBA draft pick on a lot of boards to possible lottery pick because of this. Uh, he's been leading them in assists. He's kept the turnovers down. And then, you know, we've seen what he can do uh, if you give him any space at all uh, from a scoring perspective. So uh, he's it's it's really not the Rob Dillingham I was expecting, especially this early in the season. I thought he could get there, but I was really surprised that he was able to do this so effectively this early in the season. Now, he did struggle mightily uh, in that UNC Wilmington loss. Um, and then he had not a good first half at all against Penn. He was three for 10 from the floor. Uh, I was sitting right next to the Kentucky bench at that game. Uh, there were a couple moments where Kyle just turns around and it's, it looks like his eyes are about to pop out of his head. Like, what is he doing? And then he made about two or three of those plays in a row. And finally, Kyle just turned around, wheels around and says, all right. And just points to Antonio Reeves, sends him in the game. And, and puts Rob on the bench for a few minutes. But then he comes out in the second half. I think it was three for four from the field in the second half. Really settled down, got back within that flow. And when he does that, uh, especially with all the other weapons they have out there, they're they're really, really difficult to defend. Such is life of a freshman. Of course, he's shooting 51, <laughs> yes. he's shooting 51, 51% from three-point range. And, yeah. uh, of course, North Carolina – Folks, know what North Carolina recruits that go elsewhere tend to do against the Tar Heels. We'll see what happens on Saturday. We're talking with Ben Roberts, Harold Ledger, and I want to tell you about Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com, our sponsors of this podcast. It's the 12 days of Christmas, folks. I believe today, uh, Wednesday, they're having the uh, sweatpants sale. Um, so this is the 12th day, one of the 12 days, and you get your sweatpants 20% off. And, of course, Inside Carolina Premium subscribers get 10% off of that if you give them the code either online or in person. Also, congruityhr.com slash Tar Heels for all your HR and payroll needs for your small and mid-sized business. Check out those two sponsors. They're North Carolina-based and certainly friends of all of us. Back to the show, Lexington Herald-Ledger, Ben Roberts. All right, let's talk about specifically North Carolina-Kentucky on Saturday. Um, give... North Carolina fans, a bit of a, I don't want to say a tale for Kentucky, but this game starts how for you to expect Kentucky to play well, not just shooting the ball well or whatever. What has to happen early for Kentucky to be on it? And then what do North Carolina fans need to be looking for to know what's coming from Kentucky? Yeah, you know, one interesting thing with this Kentucky team is they've started off slow in a lot of their games. And what Cal did after about – it was after the Kansas game, after the loss to Kansas, is Reed Shepard and Rob Dillingham, who are now both being looked at as possible NBA lottery picks, about the 17-minute mark of the first half, really no matter what's going out, uh, what's going on out on the court, he, uh, he, he goes down there and he sends them to the scorer's table. So he's got five starters, but three minutes into the game before that first TV timeout, he's putting those two guys in. And I think now you're going to see Aaron Bradshaw, and that's going to be a, a trio. He uh, he put Bradshaw in a little later than those two in the first half against Penn on Saturday, and then he played so well in the first half that in the second half he put them all three at, at the same time. And I would not be surprised if, if he did that in the first half against Carolina. Uh, once they all get out on the court, and what that does is, I mean, obviously Reed and Rob are are 
are very, very talented, but they're two very different players from the whoever, whatever two he's going to take out, whether that's DJ Wagner and Justin Edwards, DJ Wagner, uh, Antonio Reeves, or or DJ and, and Adu Thoreau, which usually one of those combinations. So it throws a totally different look at the other team. Um, obviously, Carolina has very good backcourt play uh, with RJ and, and Elliott and, and, and some others there. So I, I don't know how that's going to especially RJ, you know, I don't know how, how that's going to affect somebody like that who, who's already seen so much, um, but it does give a different look for the opponent and it brings a different energy for Kentucky. If they're already playing well, it kind of ramps it up some, if they're struggling, it kind of gives them, you know, a, a little extra hope there, there at the beginning. Uh, but you know, this Kentucky team, they, they were shooting lights out from three point range uh, to start the season. Um, some opponents, the last two, three games have started to kind of run them off the three point line. Uh, make them beat them elsewhere. Uh, now that DJ Wagner's back healthy, I think uh, seeing him kind of settle into the flow of the game, if he can penetrate and and either make things happen at the rim himself or kick back out, that's going to be a big key. Uh, what How Trey Mitchell uh, plays, they've been able to bring him into the high post and kind of, he's been kind of a, he's 6'9", he, he's been their center really all season, uh, but he's kind of the quarterback of the offense. They bring him out to the perimeter they bring him out to the elbow, and he just kind of, uh, kind of makes things happen from there, and, and kind of dic- dictates the uh, the pace from there. And then pace of play, I think, is going to be a a big thing in this one because Kentucky loves to run. Uh, I know North Carolina loves to run, and I think if that becomes the game, I think Kentucky might have a little bit of an advantage there, just because I don't think Carolina can press this Kentucky team if they need to, or if they feel like they need to, to kind of get back in the game, I think the guards are just too quick and, and just too high IQ with the basketball. They, they don't make many turnovers at all. Uh, up until about a week ago, they were number one in the country in assisted turnover ratio. I think they're still top five uh, as far as fewest turnovers uh, in the country. Um, they don't make mistakes. Even if you try to hurry them up, they can usually take advantage of that. And everybody on this team can, can run the floor. So if, if it becomes kind of that back and forth game, uh, I think Kentucky might have the advantage there, and they're going to want to do that. And it'll be interesting to see if they're able to do that, if Carolina lets them do that, and they want to do that too, and then and then what happens from there uh, at, at the beginning. Yeah, it's a really good point about turnovers. Um, turnover percentage, Kentucky's third in the country, according to Ken Palm. So that's, that's, that's very impressive for so many young guys having to play. Uh, and you mentioned the press, you know, North Carolina had success and rallying from their big deficit against Florida State, primarily because of the press. And it actually kind of uh, frustrated UConn a little bit and allowed Carolina to hang around in that game. Uh, so that that is a component certainly to watch. In, in watching Kentucky early this year um, against you know, Kansas, that was a great game. And then Miami. Now, granted, I know Miami got blown out by Colorado recently, so that kind of um, – tilts my opinion of them a little bit, but what Kentucky did to Miami uh, after about the midway point of the first half was crazy impressive, not just because it highlighted the talent Kentucky has, but the fact that Kentucky had three seven footers on the bench with injury. Um, And if you, if you look at the stats really where Kentucky struggled uh, is in rebounding. I mean, they're what two seventy ninth in offensive rebound percentage, which is, which is crazy low. So this, this brings me back to Bradshaw. Um, he's the guy that's back. Uh, he's a seven-footer, 
you know, five-star kid who doesn't really play like a seven-footer. He can run and all those kinds of things. Um, he is back now. I know he played 20-some minutes against Penn. How big of an impact can he have, not just for this game, but kind of for Kentucky moving forward and you know, specifically to this game? Is he going to be able to play significant minutes against Armando Baycott, or is that something that you think um, Mitchell is going to have to take responsibility for? Yeah, that's the biggest question for me and the biggest matchup uh, going into this game is I was shocked that Aaron Bradshaw played 29 minutes against Penn on Saturday. He'd been in practice for less than two weeks. He played 13 against UNC Wilmington and looked, I mean, to me, he looked very lost for a lot of those 13 minutes, which is completely understandable. He had his last action in a real game was the, it wasn't really even a real game, but was the McDonald's All-American game back in March. So he'd been out that long, had only been in a handful of practices, and then to go from 13 pretty lost minutes to 29 star minutes against Penn. I mean, he was a big difference maker in that game in a lot of different areas. Uh, that that it w- I wasn't really surprised that he was able to do the things he did, but to be able to have uh, the stamina, uh, the conditioning after all that to play 29 w- was a big shocker to me. Uh, people will, yeah, see that he's seven feet tall and think about that, that Armando um, matchup, but he's not he's not a post-up guy and he's not a guy who we've really seen defend the post-ups a whole lot so if if they put if if armando goes down there and tries to back him up on the block that's going to be really interesting one from a foul perspective because i know he's been really good at drawing fouls uh this season and he's been hitting free throws at a a much higher rate or you know quite a bit higher rate than, than he had been previously uh that's something for me to watch um, and yeah, with Trey, it's, it's a little interesting because Trey at six, nine was their center. Their, their four was basically a dude Thoreau, who's a six, eight guard or Justin Edwards, depending on who you want to call the four there, who's also a six, eight guard, six, eight wing. Um, so Kansas, what I thought was inter- interesting with Kansas is they had Hunter Dickinson on a dude who wasn't really much of a three point threat. Um, they could get away with that and then put a, you know, uh, another physical, but more mobile guy on Trey Mitchell. And I thought that was really effective what they were able to do there. Now that you have Aaron Bradshaw in the mix and Aaron and Trey are going to play quite a bit together. So I mean, there's no foul trouble uh, that kind of takes away what opponents can kind of do with Trey. So on that end of the floor, it opens up kind of both of them, but on the other end of the floor, uh, Ingram and Baycott are more physical than either of those guys. So I think that is where North Carolina can really have an advantage is either just kind of backing them up, putting them both on the block uh, and playing off of each other or or seeing what's there on either side, uh, trying to get one or both in foul trouble. I think that's going to be a a key is is what they're really able to do if they get in that half court game and and they're able to match up with those guys. Because in a full court game, Aaron and Trey can run up and down the court all day long. Uh, Aaron's going to be a really good help defender as far as blocking shots. We saw that Saturday, but if you kind of get them settled down and, and get them one-on-one down there, that, that could be a spot where I think UNC could, could really have a, a good advantage. Let's wrap up here. And as Harold leader, not ledger, I blame the cold medicine, man. I am sorry for, for, I said it twice and Barnes is blowing me up over here going, <laughs> making me laugh. But let me, let me ask you about, you talked about the physicality of Kentucky's bigs. Um, Let's talk about the physicality of Kentucky's guards right fast because I, I believe this is 
one of the weak links for North Carolina, and it's interesting to see how they sort of battle it, is Cadeau and Davis are six feet, maybe. And looking at Kentucky's roster, even all the way down the roster, you got one guy that's shorter than 6'3", playing guard, and he never plays. Um, how physical are Kentucky's guards? Do they have the post game? Can North Carolina fans expect to see um, what some teams have been able to do is, is sort of body up Davis or Cadeau and back on down? If you have guards that can do that, you can have some success against North Carolina that way. What's Kentucky like to do in that regard? They haven't shown a ton of it, but I think in this game, if Carolina tries to switch everybody but Baycott, which it seems like they do quite a bit, uh, and you get a Justin Edwards at 6'8 on an RJ or Elliott at, at six feet tall, um, they certainly have the skill and they have the ability to back them down there and to make plays down there. And Kentucky, does, they they when they're at their best, they are moving the ball. The ball never stops. Um, and, and Trey Mitchell is a big part of that. DJ Wagner is a big part of that. They just like to keep it moving. They like to make the extra pass, and that's when they're at their best. And if they can, if they can get all that motion going, get all that passing going, and get mismatches across the court, uh, that's going to be a big deal. But even if they don't get mismatches, I mean, I think it's going to be tough for those two guys. I mean, DJ Wagner can get to the rim. Now he's struggled finishing at the rim at times. But he can get there, and he, he's made pretty good decisions so far once he gets there. Reed Shepard the same way, Rob Dillingham the same way. And they've all got two or three inches on those guys. And DJ is, is a strong player. He's competitive. He's not going to back down from anybody. Um, so in that regard, I think they can kind of take advantage of that size advantage throughout the game. So it, that's really going to be interesting to me, too, is how Carolina defends them if it does become a half-court game. Because I know they've struggled with their half-court defense. Uh, Kentucky um, moves the ball well enough uh, that, that they can exploit that. And, and then when you get into those mismatches, if you have a lot of switching, uh, I think they can they can really make that a, a big advantage on their end offensively. Yeah, it should be an interesting ball game on Saturday, Carolina and Kentucky. It's always good when you get the Blue Bloods playing each other. We'll see another iteration of that on Saturday. Ben Roberts, I do appreciate you joining Greg and I. It's always fun to get the other quote-unquote sides perspective because I feel like a lot of times we get in an echo chamber um, and it works both ways. It is you, you get in sort of that echo chamber where everything bounces off each other and everybody gets confirmation bias and all that stuff. So it's, it's been cool to talk to you. Um, enjoy your work out in Kentucky and, and look forward to uh, maybe we'll get back together after the game and see how right or wrong we were here in this podcast. Yeah, that sounds great. We uh, we will give you some predictions off the air, by the way. Okay. And <laughs> uh, We don't want to upset any apple carts, though. I think I have a good one. But anyway, that's been Next Level with Ben Roberts. That's Greg Barnes. I'm Tommy Ashley. Johnny T-Shirt and Congruity HR. Check them out. Support them. They look after us. We'll see you next time.